Chapter 2 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexander Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Living Wagon in the Storm. A week after the events depicted, a living wagon drawn by four horses and conducted by two postboys left Pont a Mousson, a pretty town between Nancy and Metz. Nothing like this caravan, as show people style the kind, had ever crossed the bridge, though the good folk see theatrical carts of queer aspect. The body was large and painted blue, with a baron's insignia surmounting a J and a B artistically interlaced. This box was lighted by two windows, curtained with muslin, but they were in the front, where a sort of driver's cab hid them from the vulgar eye. By these apertures the inmate of the coach could talk with outsiders. Ventilation was given this case by a glazed skylight in the dicky, or hind box of the vehicle, where grooms usually sit. Another orifice completed the oddity of the affair by presenting a stovepipe, which belched smoke to fade away in the wake as the whole rushed on. In our times one would have simply imagined that it was a steam conveyance, and applauded the mechanician who had done away with horses. The machine was followed by a led horse of Arab extraction, ready saddled, indicating that one of the passengers sometimes gave himself the pleasure and change of riding alongside the vehicle. At St. Michiel, the mountain ascent was reached. Forced to go at a walk, the quarter of a league took half an hour. Toward the evening, weather turned from mild and clear to tempestuous. A cloud spread over the skies with frightful rapidity and intercepted the setting sunbeams. All of a sudden, the cloud was stripped by a lightning flash, and the startled eye could plunge into the immensity of the firmament, blazing like the infernal regions. The vehicle was on the mountainside when a second clap of thunder flung the rain out of the cloud. After falling in large drops, it poured hard. The postboys pulled up. Hello, demanded a man's voice from inside the conveyance. What are you stopping for? We are asking one another if we ought to go on, answered one postillion with the deference to a master who had paid handsomely. It seems to me that I ought to be asked about that. Go ahead. But the rain had already made the road downward slippery. Please, sir. The horses won't go, said the elder postillion. What have you got spurs for? They might be plunged rowls deep without making the bulky creatures budge. May heaven exterminate me if— The blasphemy was not finished, as a dreadful lightning stroke cut him short. The coach was started and ran upon the horses, which had to race to save themselves from being crushed. The equipage flew down the sloping road like an arrow, skimming the precipice. Instead of the traveler's voice coming out from the vehicle, it was his head. "'You clumsy fellows will kill us all,' he said. "'Bear to the left. Deuce take ye!' "'Oh, Joseph!' screamed a woman's voice inside. "'Help! Holy Madonna, help us!' It was time to invoke the Queen of Heaven for the heavy carriage was skirting the abysm. One wheel seemed to be in the air, and a horse was nearly over when the traveller, springing out on the pole, grasped the postboy nearest by the collar and slack of the breeches. He raised him out of his boots as if he were a child, flung him a dozen feet clear, and taking his place in the saddle, 
gathered up the reins and said in a terrifying voice to the second rider, "'Keep to the left, rascal, or I shall blow out your brains!' The order had a magical effect. The foremost rider, haunted by the shriek of his luckless comrade, followed the substitute impulse and bore the horses toward the firm land. "'Gallop!' shouted the traveller. "'If you falter, I shall run right over you and your horses!' The chariot seemed an infernal machine, drawn by nightmares and pursued by a whirlwind. But they had eluded one danger only to fall into another. As they reached the foot of the declivity, the clouds split with an awful roar in which was blended the flame and the thunder. A fire enwrapped the leaders, and the wheelers and the leaders were brought to their haunches as if the ground gave way under them. But the four pair, rising quickly and feeling that the traces had snapped, carried away their man in the darkness. The vehicle, rolling on a few paces, stopped on the dead body of the stricken horse. The whole event had been accompanied by the screams of the woman. For a moment of confusion, none knew who was living or dead. The traveller was safe and sound on feeling himself, but the lady had swooned. Although he guessed this was the case, it was elsewhere that he ran to aid, to the rear of the vehicle. The led horse was rearing with bristling mane and shaking the door to the handle of which his halter was hitched. "'Hang the confounded beast again!' muttered a broken voice within. "'A curse on him for shaking the wall of my laboratory!' Becoming louder, the same voice added in Arabic, "'I bid you keep quiet, devil!' "'Do not wax angry with Jared, master.' said the traveller, untying the steed and fastening it to the hind wheel. He is frightened, and for sound reasons. So saying, he opened a door, let down the steps, and stepped inside the vehicle, closing the door behind him. He faced a very aged man, with a hooked nose, grey eyes, and shaking yet active hands. Sunken in a huge armchair, he was following the lines of a manuscript book on vellum, entitled, the secret key to the cabinet of magic, while holding a silver skimmer in his other hand. The three walls, for this old man had called the sides of the living wagon walls, held bookcases, with shelves of bottles, jars, and brass-bound boxes set in wooden cases like utensils on shipboard, so as to stand up without upsetting. The old man could reach these articles by rolling the easy chair to them, a crank enabled him to screw up the seat to the level of the highest. The compartment was, in feet, eight by six and six in height. Facing the door was a furnace with hood and bellows. It was now boiling a crucible at a white heat, whence issued the smoke by the pipe overhead exciting the mystery of the villagers wherever the wagon went through. The hole emitted an odor which, in a less grotesque laboratory, would have been called a perfume. The occupant seemed to be in bad humor, for he grumbled. "'The cursed animal is frightened, but what has he got to disturb him? I want to know. He has shaken my door, cracked my furnace, and split a quarter of my elixir in the fire. Akarat, in heaven's name, drop the beast in the first desert we cross.' "'In the first place, master.' returned the other, smiling. "'We are not crossing deserts, for we are in France. And next, 
I would not abandon a horse worth a thousand louis, or rather priceless, as he is of the breed of Alborock. I will give you a thousand over and over again. He has lost me more than a million, to say nothing of the days he has robbed me of. The liquor would have boiled up without loss of a drop in a little longer which neither Zoroaster nor Paracelsus stated, but it is positively advised by Bori. Never mind, it will soon be boiling again. But that is not all. Something is dropping down my chimney. Merely water. It is raining. Water? Then my elixir is spoiled. I must renew the work, as if I had any time to spare. It is pure water from above. It was pouring, as you might have noticed. Do I notice anything when busy? Oh, my poor soul, Akarot! This is exasperating. For six months I have been begging for a cowl to my chimney. I mean, this year. You never think of it, though you are young and have lots of leisure. What will your negligence bring about? The rain today or the wind tomorrow confound my calculations and ruin all my operations. Yet... I must hurry, by Jove, for my hundredth year commences on the 15th of July, at eleven at night precisely, and if my elixir of life is not then ready, good night to the sage Altotus. But you are getting on well with it, my dear master, I think. Yes, by my tests... By absorption, I have restored vitality to my paralyzed arm. I only want the plant mentioned by Pliny, which we have perhaps passed a hundred times or crushed under the wheels. By the way, what rumbling is that? Are we still going? No, that is thunder. The lightning has been playing the mischief with us. But I was safe enough, being clothed in silk. Lightning! Pooh! Wait till I renew my life and can attend to other matters. I will put a steel bridle on your electric fluid and make it light this study and cook my meals. I wish I were as sure of making my elixir perfect. And our great work? How comes it on? Making diamonds? That is done. Look here in the glass dish. Joseph Balsamo greedily caught up the crystal saucer and saw a small, brilliant, amid some dust. Small and with flaws. He said, disappointed. Because the fire was put out, Akarat. "'from there being no cowl to the chimney. "'You shall have it. "'But do take some food.' "'I took some elixir a couple of hours ago.' 
Nay, that was at six this morning, and it is now the afternoon. Another day gone, fled and lost, moaned the alchemist, wringing his hands. Are they not growing shorter? Have they less than four-and-twenty hours? If you will not eat, at least take a nap. When I sleep, I am afraid I shall never wake. If I lie down for two hours, you will come and call me Akarat, said the old man in a coaxing voice. I swear I will, master. At this point, they heard the gallop of a horse and a scream of astonishment and disquiet. What does that mean? questioned the traveler, quickly opening the door and leaping out on the road without using the steps. End of chapter 2. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.